Good morning, everyone. Yeah? Okay. Uh, today's Bible reading will be from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who caught his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when you returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Vanessa. Amen. And may God bless the reading of that word this morning. Well, good morning all. It is great to be before you bringing God's word to you. Um, it's always a privilege to stand before a congregation and expound on God's word a little. Now, I'm not sure what you think when someone comes before you and mentions stewardship. There's this default mode for a lot of people where suddenly they're like, well, this guy is just going to ask for some money. And if I was to talk to you about good stewardship, perhaps you're thinking he's going to ask for a lot of money. And the reality of the situation is stewardship is one of the most important and practical themes mentioned throughout all of Scripture. It's something that God wants us to get and understand. And I think the frequency of it being mentioned indicates the importance that God himself places upon good stewardship. And at the heart of stewardship, the very heart of stewardship, is our willingness to present all of ourselves. And when I say all... Every single part of our lives is what I'm talking about. And we're to present ourselves to God as his servants. We're to present ourselves to be used for his purposes. When we say we have put to death our old selves, that's exactly what it means. 
We're not to dig ourselves back up. We're to live this new life for Christ, and it is a life which is sacrificial. I'm putting aside everything the world would tell me to do, and I'm saying, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. I am committing myself fully to you. That's what it means to live a sacrificial life. And that's what it means to be a good steward of what we have. And I love this definition I found in some interesting Bible called the CSB Discipleship Study Bible. But this is a very good quote. A way of living, this is about stewardship, a way of living that involves one's daily activities, values and goals for life and the use of all possessions. It begins with God and his plans for creation and the purposes for humankind. This steward is God's responsible representative and manager of all of creation. I love that definition. And I firmly believe that that, that is, what, is what God has called us to. And what we need to realize is stewardship is not something else we have to do. It's not something we have to take on board. It's continuing to do what we're presently doing, to continue to mix with the people we are mixing. But we shift our thinking so that our thinking is in obedience to God. It's about doing what we do with his outlook. We bring God into each and every situation of our lives. We ask him first and foremost how he can use us and minister through us in those situations. And I have to tell you, it has been my experience that the more I give over to God, the fewer problems I seem to have in life. When I'm obedient to him, my peace, my fulfillment, my purpose in life seems to be elevated so much more. I seem to have this greater desire to, in fact, give him more. And it's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's not a sacrifice. It, it, it's just, I don't know, it's what I'm made for. It's what I'm created for. So it resonates with me. And it's a joy. It really is. And so even in the midst, when things don't go as well as I'd hoped or expected, there's this quiet confidence that it didn't slip past God. God wasn't caught by surprise. And in the midst of those troubling times, the things that I don't think are exactly the way God would have them to be, I can be confident that he's got a plan and a purpose. It may be years down the track in being realized. It may be in eternity when I realize it. But if I believe God is sovereign over all things, and if I've committed my ways to him, then he is not going to bring that to have no purpose or reason. He just won't. And even those bad things, you guys all know about my divorce. I quite openly talk about it. Most people would say a pastor shouldn't talk about divorce. But do you know the incredible times that God has used that for me to minister to someone because I understand their pain. I understand what they've been through. I understand how broken families are as a result of those divorces. And I'm not proud of that. But it's something that God uses continuously in my life. So as we look at stewardship this morning... I want you to think about your life, how you're living before God. And I'm going to cover four principles, which I think are great principles. And um, I don't have to skip through it, eh? Because this ain't the 8.30 service, so we can be here until 1. We're cool with that? Good. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you've got a word that you've proclaimed to me. And now, Lord, we can all hear of it. And Father, I pray for the truth of your word to come out. I pray that we'll have open hearts and minds to hear what you have to say, not what Charlie's saying. So Lord, let us put aside any reservations that we have. Let us open ourselves to you. 
Minister to us, Lord, by power of Holy Spirit. And for each one of us, allow us to take away something that is going to change our lives so that we may move one step closer to you, Lord. Ten steps would be great, but I'm happy with one step, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these four points that I'm going to talk about this morning actually stole from a guy called Hugh Welchel. I've got no idea who he is, but I love the points that he had. I expanded on them a little bit, but uh, these are pretty good points. So the first one is the principle of ownership. And I think we really need to get this clear in our minds so we understand the whole concept of stewardship. When we look at the Psalms, 24 and 89 particularly, we see King David declaring that everything, everything is the Lord's. The earth, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in in. Well, they're in. I think I've caught what Pastor Darrell had before, right? It's like, no, 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 no. Pray for me. But everything, including you, is the Lord's. That's what these scriptures clearly say. All of creation is God's. And when we think back to the creation in Genesis, we see that God created everything. And when he created it, he said, this is good. And then he created mankind and he said, this is very good. And then he put man in the garden. And he put the man in there so that he would work the garden. Who owns the garden? The Lord. It's God's. It's not the man's. But the man has been put in there to do work, to raise crops and things like that. Do you think the man was ticked off about that? No, it was a pleasure for him to be working in that garden. And he enjoyed walking with God and perhaps showing God a little of what he was doing in the garden. God knew, but he wants relationship with us. So he comes alongside and he asks us and he walks with us. He wants to be a part of what is going on. But everything belongs to God. That is the foundational principle of biblical stewardship. God owns everything. And he's made man and women, I don't exclude you, as managers or administrators to act on his behalf on this earth. Everything I have is God's. And he'll do what he wants with it. He'll sell it for a stupid amount of money, please. That's what God decided to do. Because he needed to bless people in another way. It's God's. He can do what he wants with it. And I think C.S. Lewis understood this. Another awesome quote here. Every faculty you have, think about that. Every faculty you have. Your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense already his. It's true, isn't it? And the tension comes when we get this whole principle wrong. If I believe that what I have is mine, that I own it, then it's so much more difficult for me to submit. It's so much more difficult for me to release that. All of myself and all of my possessions should be released to God's will. But if I think it's mine, I hold it back. I don't want to release it to him. Think of that rich young ruler in uh, Matthew 19, 16 to 22. If he believed that the wealth that he held was God's, when Jesus said, you know what, I want you to give that to the poor, it would have been that much more easy for him to release that for God's use and purposes. But because he thought it was his, he'd worked hard for it. He'd put in the time and the effort. He'd gained this great wealth. He'd gained status as a result of that as well. And he wasn't going to give that up because it was his. Do you understand where the tension and the difficulty comes in?
Pastor Darrell said this morning that for those who have wealth, we need to pray for them. It is an incredible temptation when you have huge chunks of money to just give over to gaining more possessions, a greater house, and those types of things. Pray for them. I know plenty of Christian men and women who are millionaires, and they do a lot to bless and honour God with that. But the temptation is so great. Let's pray for those people. But when we come to that point of realisation that what I have is not mine, then the conflict's gone. He's the owner. I'm simply a manager or steward of all that God has given me. And if he says to me, that money I've given you, I want you to put it over there. I can do that because it's his. It's not mine. I, don't, I really don't care. It's up to God to choose what he does for that. And... Uh, you know that we're going through this process of purchasing a house over here. Alana and I moved from Gladstone to the Sunshine Coast. Surprisingly, houses were a lot more expensive on the Sunshine Coast. So when we sold our house in Gladstone and we thought, yep, we'd be able to buy something on the Sunshine Coast, oh, were we deceived. And we had this sum of money, which wasn't a small sum of money by anyone's standards, but it wasn't enough to buy a house. And we were like, what are we going to do? And Alana and I are sitting in a church service. And God said to me, there's a guy up the front, a missionary, those missionaries, and they needed money to build some stuff in, in where they were going. And God said, I want you to give him the money. And I'm like, really? How much? And God named a figure and I went, there's no way Elena's going to buy that. Just, that's not going to happen. I mean, we had to buy a house for crying out loud. I mean, what are we going to do? This money's just disappearing. And so at the end of the service, I'm sitting there. I'm sure I was white. And I turned to my wife and I said, Elena... God's told me to give this guy some money. She goes, me too. I was like, Elena, I'm talking a lot of money. She goes, me too. <laughs> and this is the way God works. And so we wrote a check out for this guy. I didn't want him to see what the money was. I just slid it in his top pocket. and I said, I don't want you to talk to me about that because I can tell you there is nothing in me that would give you that money. There just isn't. And that's the honest truth. That is not me. I mean, I wouldn't give him... I'd go buy a car with that, to be quite honest. It would have been a nice car. To, but anyway, you know, God calls us to do things. And I'm not telling you that story to puff us up. That's what it's about. It's about obedience to God. It's about, okay, Lord, it's yours. You take it. You use it for whatever you want to do. And, you know, I've been to that country and I've seen what has been built with that money. And it is mind-blowing. There's families going to Bible college because of what that built. Do you think that's going to be a blessing? Of course it is. We need to be free with what God has blessed us with because he's given it to us to use for his glory and his purposes. Elena and I talk about our house. You know, I can't wait to get here because back in our old church, we had an open house. Do you understand what that is? It means the front door's unlocked. And we had young adults. They used to just walk in. And if they didn't see us, they'd be like, hey, guys, we're here. We might be upstairs having a shower, whatever. And so they'd just come in. When we finally came downstairs or whatever, they'd be in the kitchen raiding our cupboards and our fridge and making coffee and getting something to eat. That's the way we want to live. We want people to feel free to come and talk to us, to spend time with us, to see God working in our lives. And we still have that open door policy. It's just you've got to drive half an hour to us at the moment. So we'll try and change that for you. So that's the first point, guys. That's the principle of ownership. What we have is not our own. I was talking about money again, wasn't I? Did you know? That? Bless you, brother and sister. Thank you so much for coming. The second point is the principle of responsibility. The principle of responsibility. And the outworking of the previous point is that if God is the owner, then I'm the manager. I have to stop thinking like I own everything and begin thinking like it's God's. And I've got to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this? How's this going to work out? 
I've got this in my hands, Lord, and, and it's yours. You, you do what you want with it. I'm holding it very loosely, uh, and I want to honour you. And I don't have any right or entitlement to the owner's possessions. Think about it. If I was a bellboy in a hotel, and you came in and you gave me your bag, and I took off with it and said, woohoo, it's not the way it works, is it? I have it for a very temporary period of time between the lobby and your hotel room. It's yours. I'm just holding it for you. And that's the way you've got to think about what God gives us. It's his property. And that includes my life. And once I understand that God is the owner of all I have, I need to learn what God wants me to do with it. I need to understand how I can use what he's entrusted to me. I have to seek God's will for what he has entrusted to me and then just do what he calls me to do. We have this right. It affects how we give. And seriously, we need to give abundantly. There are many stories in scripture about those who are blessed because of their generosity. generosity. And Paul speaks about the Corinthians offering a gift to be used for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he expands on some of the Proverbs, like uh, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will be watered. And Paul's referring back to this when he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. That's actually written in Scripture, hard to believe. But the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, guys, I do not believe in prosperity doctrine. I don't believe it's in Scripture. But when you give to the Lord, you receive in so many other ways. I am more comfortable with the lesser wage that Elena and I have now than I've ever been in my life because I am found in God's will. And I have a reward here on earth in having that peace and comfort and security in God. And I also will have a reward in heaven because of that. And that is my hope. That's what I believe in. And I'm happy to have that. We have those moments where we go, wow, remember when we used to be able to pay any bill and we never worried about it? Now we sort of go, ooh, how are we going to pay that? But it's in God's hands anyway. And we're more comfortable now than we ever have been before. Think about our situation here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. You've got your little window on the back of our, our bulletin. We're not meeting budget. So when we don't meet budget, it stands to reason that something has to be dropped. Now... We're not in a serious situation at the moment, so don't think I'm saying anything in this, please. But you imagine our giving actually drops off even more. What's the first thing that has to be cut? The first thing that has to be cut is the thing that is going to cost money. We're coming up to a carols event. So if we hit a crisis in the next month or two, do you think it would be wise to continue the carols event, which is going to cost us a substantial amount of money, or would that be the easiest thing to cut in order for us to continue to function as a people of God? Now, again, I'm not saying that is going to happen, but that is a logical step. The other logical step is, well, staff is pretty expensive, to be quite honest, so we're going to have to cut one of the pastors. Some of them you may want to cut, but that's not the point of this discussion. When we don't meet budget, a budget that we voted on, stuff happens. And we become ineffective in our ministry and desire to reach our community. Do you know, as I come here, I see a ton of potential in people. I don't think we're anywhere near the potential we can be. I think we've got to raise a whole heap of people up. I think we've got to do more discipleship. I think we've got to get people serious about their life with Christ and empower and equip them to be doing more in our communities. And you know what? As we get a vision for what we can actually do, people are going to come in here and say, I've got this great idea. I just need amount of dollars. If we go to the kitty and it's empty, it's not going to happen. 
Of course, there is this stepping out in faith and saying, yeah, we firmly believe God's called this to happen. And I've seen God provide in miraculous ways in those situations. But the point is, if we've committed to a budget as a people of God, we have to do everything we can to make that budget be met. Think about our missionaries. Possibly good that Gary and Ruth have gone. We're supporting a lot of missionaries. Imagine if, again, the funds dropped off and we could no longer support them. What would that mean for our missionaries and the incredible work that they do in proclaiming the gospel elsewhere in the world? Let's think about Kids Club. It'd be a tragedy not to hold that event. We have so many people from the community come in. And it's just such an incredible blessing to be able to do that. Everything we do in this country involves money. I've read a little bit about a man called Jerry Caven. It's quite a story. Uh, have you guys from Power to Change read his story? Because I actually got this off, his, off your website. Dearing me. <laughs> Anyways, this, this Jerry Caven, he's quite a character. Uh, He's a successful businessman. He's got some fast food restaurants, some banks, a ranch, a farm, and real estate ventures. He didn't start out with all that wealth. But what this guy actually did, he, he, he grew his wealth so much, and he's coming up to retirement, and he said, well, my wife and I, we want a nice place by the lake. I mean, seriously, who wouldn't? And so he decided to start looking for this place by the lake that he and his wife could retire on. And so God said, you know what? That's great. You can do that, but I've got another plan. And so Jerry was obedient to God, and he decided that instead of doing that, he was actually going to give money to mission. And so this is what he actually said. Once we understood that we were giving away God's money to do God's work, we discovered a peace and joy we never had back when we thought it was our money. Is that mind-blowing? You know, and these guys are giving away a lot of money, I've got to tell you. Seriously huge amounts of money. And so they put their money and time in overseas. Um, they didn't do token amounts. They were substantial amounts of money right from the start. And they've just been giving more and more and more to mission work in India. And they're seeing a return for God's kingdom as a result of doing that. And it's interesting because when you begin to see a return, you've got a tendency to give more. And you see more returns, you give more. And it's just so exciting to be involved in God's work like that. So our next point, just like this guy did, we are... To give sacrificially. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells of the Macedonian Christians and their sacrificial giving. Paul testifies here of the Macedonian believers that they gave out of their extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. And this is something I learnt, um, possibly something I don't talk about a lot, is the fact that I was totally broke. I didn't know where the rent was coming from the next week. I was so broke, I actually had bankruptcy papers filled out so I could file them. All I had to do was sign them and submit them. It was a terrible time. Terrible time. I didn't even have food in the fridge. And yet God called me to continue to be obedient. And everything I received, I gave a portion back to God in one way or another. I believe God blessed that and honoured that. I believe... When God calls us to give, it's not like when you earn X amount of dollars, then you give. I believe he's calling us to give in each and every season. And guys, if you've got a situation, I want you to come to me before you actually give everything you have, unless you're convinced God's giving that. Let's talk about it. I, I don't want to see people suffer. I don't want to see people go without. 
But it's a principle we need to get in every season. Regardless of how much we're earning, God calls us to give. And just like these guys in Macedonia, they gave sacrificially. They didn't have it to give. And they gave this incredible offering to support their Christian brothers and sisters who needed the funds. And sacrificial giving occurs when we make a deliberate choice to dedicate our time, our resources and our life to God. It's the act of giving something that is valued or precious. It's something that costs us. And it's an incredible act of worship to God. It's well considered and maybe even prayerfully thought out, but it's not painless. It involves a lot of pain. And ultimately, it's obedience to God. Think about Abraham being willing to offer Isaac in Genesis 22. Could there be a greater sacrifice asked for? Think of Solomon offering a thousand burnt offerings at Gibeon in 1 Kings 3. Think of the widow in 1 Kings 17 who gave abundantly from her scarcity. She had one jar of oil left, one meal, and she gave it. And the thing is, they gave it joyfully. And that's what we're called to do too. We're told, called to be joyful givers. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're listening to me up here and you're saying, well, I'm just going to give X amount to shut Charlie up, that's not the way it works. You are to be a cheerful giver. Why is it that God loves a cheerful giver? It's because those who are cheerful givers are the ones that understand that all I have is God's. And so giving is just obeying God. And so I'm happy to do it. I really am. It's, it's not a burden upon me. It doesn't create undue pressure on my life. Sure, there may be struggles. But because I'm obedient to God, he meets me in the midst of that. He expresses his joy in what I have done. And that, in turn, gives me great joy and pleasure as well. Our focus is not on the things of this earth. It's on the things of God. And my reward is in eternity. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. God loves cheerful givers because they know that they're investing for God with his prompting. And the reward is an eternal reward. It's not in this life. And there's no better example of joyful giving than when the tabernacle was being built in the Old Testament. These guys were nuts. Exodus 36. Moses said, what have I done? I jumped one. There you go. Moses said, we need to have you give the gold and jewels and everything like that so that we can build the requirements for the temple as the Lord would lay out. I would love to be standing here one week and saying, guys, Stop giving. We've got way too much and we don't know what to do with it. Let us deal with that and then you can start giving again. Because these guys, they were giving so much that the craftsman who God had put in place said, Moses, you've got to stop them. We've got too much stuff coming in. We've got more than we can deal with. There's enough. Could you imagine what an incredible blessing that would be to us and it would be to our communities around us if we were just so generous? And every time someone wanted to start something that we believe was leading from God, we'd say, yep, we've got the funds there, let's do this. Let's get a plan in place, let's make this happen. It'd be so exciting to be able to do that. We give because everything is God's to begin with. 
And the scriptures teach us, both by mandate and model, that we're to give abundantly, joyfully and sacrificially. So the next one is the principle of accountability. God will hold me accountable for what he has invested in me, what he's entrusted me with. And I personally believe that is very clear from that passage that we read earlier, that Vanessa read out to us. Each person comes before the master and they give an account for what they've done with the gifts that he entrusted to them. And I believe that that is God. And guys, if you just bury your gifts, if you don't use your gifts, if you don't use your abilities, if you don't use your funds for God and his purposes, he is going to call you to account. I don't know what that means. The guy in the story, he was thrown out where there will be gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. Correct me if you want. But that's not the way I envisage heaven. And so there is going to be responsibilities for what we do. And we're going to be called to account for how we've used what God has blessed us with. Think about the story of the tenants in the vineyard. I've mentioned this before. That's in Luke 29 to 19. And you know, the master sends a servant to get what is required. They beat him up. He sends more servants. They get beat up and things like that. These are the prophets coming into the world. These are the pastors that stand before you week in, week out, proclaiming God's word, telling you what you should do. And ultimately, the master sends his son and says, these people surely will listen to my son. And I beat him up and crucified him. What's going to happen? The master is going to come and he's going to gather those in the vineyard who refuse to acknowledge the son, who refuse to acknowledge the prophet, who refuse to acknowledge the word of God and he's going to cast them out with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. The vineyard is the world and we're in it. Are we going to listen to God? Are we going to listen to man? Because there will be consequences and we will be held accountable each will give a personal account to god god will want to know what we've done with the possessions gifts and talents he's entrusted to our care and there's a few things that god's going to question us he's going to say what have you done with yourselves how have you used yourself for my glory Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is our sanctification. We've become Christians. We've got our foot in the door of justification when we've been put back in right relationship with God. But our daily outworking of that relationship is our sanctification. Each and every day saying, God, here I am. Use me. I am a willing instrument in your hands to be used for your purposes and glory. And God's expectations for us in our lives is to devote ourselves fully to him, not holding anything back. We aren't to hold anything back. And Jesus gave everything for us. He's asking the same from me. How devoted are we to him? And the second thing he's going to ask us about, he's going to ask us about our possessions. He's going to say, Charlie, I, I gave so much upon you. What have you done with it? And Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Does it make sense? If we have an eternal perspective, if our hope is in that life, we are going to live with Christ when we die. It changes what we value on this earth. And God has blessed Elena and I abundantly. We have incredible material possessions. But God's going to hold us account for that. How did we use it for him and his kingdom? 
We need to hold our possessions very loosely in our hands. It's interesting because somehow we managed to have a conversation very similar to this to our kids. And um, Becky said, what if God told you to give our house away? I was like, Beck, that'd be hard. We'd have to be sure. But if Elena and I prayed, just like when we're sitting in that church on the Sunshine Coast and God said, give it away, we'd sign it over. That's what we're called to do. And we're responsible to our kids. But you know what I'm more responsible for? I'm more responsible to show them Jesus. I'm more responsible to show them the life that I have in him. Not that it's important to gain wealth. Not that it's important to live a life here that is comfortable. It's a life committed to him which they need to see. God's entrusted it to us for now. As Pastor Darrell said this morning, when I go, it doesn't matter how much I want, I can't take it with me. What we have is his. And we've been blessed so we can be a blessing to others. And there are people sitting amongst us who can testify to our willingness to share even with you. Our willingness to release what we have. We don't call it ours. It's God's. Our lives on earth are fleeting and we should always have it with an eternal perspective. What we have should be used to benefit others. And I believe that's a biblical principle. And again, we can't wait to move closer so you can experience a bit more of that from Elena and I. There's a third thing God's going to ask us about and that's our time. I know it's fleeting right now for this service so I'll try and wrap up. But Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Amen. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we need to consider our motives and goals in the use of our time. That doesn't mean we never get to enjoy God's creation or have rest or anything like that. But the time we have should reflect what Jesus did with his time. He was always available to show love to people he was always available to minister to others he was always available to welcome people in the midst of other things that he was doing he was never flustered he was never put out and he also on occasion spent extended periods with difficult people think of the woman by the well it was not a problem for him He was happy to speak with her and to spend time with her. That's our time. We'll also be called into account for our abilities. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God will examine what we've done with the gifts, talents and abilities he's granted us. He's sovereign. And his purpose is for me to serve, honour and worship him. And it stands to reason that all of my abilities should play a role in that. Obviously, I thought I was going to be an auctioneer for the rest of my life. I've got this incredible ability to speak and speak very fast. God had another purpose. I hope most of you can understand me. I apologise if you can't. But God expects me to use the gifts and abilities I have for his purpose. And it's interesting, I called an auction on the Sunshine Coast once. Uh, it, was, it was a difficult auction, but did quite well from it. And uh, Becky was there, which was very rare. And as I finished the auction, she said, awesome job, Dad. Everyone heard it and laughed. 
But I, I stepped down from there and I went to negotiate with the highest bidder. And um, he said, man, I don't know who you are. He said, but you should be a pastor. <laughs> he didn't even know I was a Christian. It wasn't long after that I actually started Bible college. So God's entrusted to my management, time, possessions, abilities, and even my very being, who I am, what has happened in my life, the gifts and abilities I have as a person. Some of those are God-given, some of those are natural, as we speak about. But everything I have, I should be using for his glory and purposes. He has incredibly high expectations that I'll serve him and grow to think, love, and care, just as he does. Final point, guys, the principle of reward. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that you serve. And the Bible shows us in the parables of the kingdom, the faithful stewards who do the master's will with the master's resources can expect to be rewarded. Incompletely right now, we don't get receive the full reward now. We receive it when we stand in his presence. You know what? We should long to hear this. And the only way we're going to hear that is if we've been faithful with what God has blessed us with. If all of our lives is dedicated to following and serving him, that's what he's called us to. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to hand over to the worship team. I just want you to think about what we've talked about this morning. Perhaps you're a person who has taken hold of ownership for yourself. Perhaps you think what you have is yours. You need to confess that. Perhaps you haven't been responsible with everything God's entrusted you with. And again, you need to confess that. And perhaps you didn't fully understand that you're going to be held accountable come that day for what you do on this earth in this life again we need to confess if you want prayer come forward after the service I love praying with people I'd love to encourage you in your walk with Christ and I'm sure there's other Christian brothers and sisters around you who would also so I'll just close in prayer now Father God first and foremost I want to pray and ask for your forgiveness for the times when I've counted things as my own and Lord I haven't thought about the fact that you've blessed me with these things in order that I can honour and glorify your name on this earth. Father, will you make me more responsible for what you've placed in my hands? Will you bring to mind the fact, Lord, that what I have is not my own? And that, Lord, you've given them to me for a purpose and a reason which is to bring glory and honour to your name. All that I am is yours, Lord. And Father, I want to pray for these people who are gathered here this morning. I thank you. There's so many of them love you, Lord. There's so many who want to move closer to you. I know that because of the conversations that I've had for them. And this morning, by power of Holy Spirit, Lord, I just pray that you speak into their lives. If they need to pray, if they need to confess, I pray, Lord, that you call them to do that. Perhaps where they are, Lord, perhaps by coming down to the front. Whatever it is, Lord, call us to account. We want to move closer to you, Lord. We want to be the people of God you've called us to be. We want to be that salt and light in this community to draw others into your kingdom. So, Father, break us. Let us get over our attitudes of ownership and submit and give all of ourselves and all our possessions to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.